0: everyone and welcome back to scores podcast inside college admissions. My name is Ashley Smith and I'm the director of marketing here at Score and today we are going to be joined by Peter Van Buskirk who is a regular on our podcast and I'm sure you have heard some of his episodes prior to this. So, we're very excited to have Peter here today and the topic of conversation is going to be slightly different what we're going to be doing is diving into some insights that Peter has recently learned and heard about based on an event that he hosts every year. So to tee that up, what I would love to do is, Peter, obviously, we're excited to have you here and welcome again, but to give our audience some background, can you tell us a little bit about this event that you host every year, the name of it, and how it really came to be?
1: Sure, the event that that we've hosted now for thirty years is called the No Name Conference, and yes, it is the No Name Conference. Uh, we feel a little embarrassed that we didn't have any better idea at the time of the naming, so we've had the the, the default option, No Name, but it stuck for thirty some years. But it was a, a meeting that was begun when I was still in college admission, along with another admission friend and colleague, and and then a third person who is an independent consultant. We felt that there was a need to get people together at the end of the admission cycle to kind of review what just happened, but also to look out beyond the year and see what was on its way, to new, new developments, trends, et cetera. And uh, what began as a, a fairly small gathering of a dozen people or one session of uh, three days, two nights of, of conversations quickly emerged into something or evolved into something that became two gatherings. Uh, of 30 plus people over, again, a period of, three days, two nights to, to have as much conversation as we could. And then most recently, we, we went to a third meeting. So at any rate, we're we're a group that includes deans of admission, veterans, secondary school counselors, as well as uh, individuals in the independent consulting group who have a lot of perspective, a lot of seniority, and, and can provide sort of a 30,000-foot perspective on the goings-on in the college-going process. So it's been fun to have this conversation. One of the things that we've insisted on when folks gather is that that we don't come with with any presumed expertise. In other words, we're not coming to listen to someone talk to us about a particular topic. Rather, we identify topics in advance, and then um, the leaders, and I'm one of the the founders and leaders, uh, will facilitate conversations over, again, a period of three days on various topics. Everybody participates. Nobody can spectate. And it's it's a, a lot of fun. And after a while, it becomes like herding cats because everybody has something to say. But uh, when, when you have folks representing higher education at large schools, small schools, highly selective schools, not as selective schools, the conversation really becomes very robust. And, and, of course, everybody wants to hear what's going on.
0: Sure.
1: This year, actually 2020, posed a challenge for us because we felt that it wasn't going to make sense to try to meet in person. Uh, we had a very brief meeting virtually back in the spring, and it went well. So we decided that for 2021, in anticipation of, again, not having something in person, we would do a series of events. And we had our first of three that were designed to kind of take the temperature of of what's going on in college admission. At the end of January of the admission process, the next one will be the end of March, which is presumably a time when a lot of institutions will have sent out their decision letters and now they're awaiting reactions from students. And then in the middle of May, when the dust seems to have settled on the whole season. So uh, incrementally, uh, we wanted to to have that, 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 that conversation what was interesting is we weren't sure who would show up. So, uh, you know, we have an invitation list that we use thinking that, well, we'll give folks an opportunity to indicate a first and a second and a third choice. And that way, maybe they could participate in all three of these sessions. Well, so it turned out, each of the sessions closed out in registration so that nobody got more than one session opportunity, which... I think much to the chagrin of a lot of folks who wanted to be part of the conversation, a little bit of FOMO going on here. But uh, uh, nonetheless, we were very fortunate to have this turnout. And we had, as I say, a very robust and, and energizing meeting.
0: Yeah, that's great. And and I love how you position that too, just kind of doing a quick temperature check on all things college admissions. And I would I would anticipate that there is a large desire to get that type of group together, especially given that, you know, it's 2021 and, you know, it's another year with COVID, and to really get a better sense of where everybody else is at too and just be able to kind of share thoughts candidly in an, in an open forum. So that's that's really great to hear. And I'm really impressed with the turnout you got because as everybody is talking about right now, there is a lot of Zoom fatigue, but I think that there is definitely a desire to connect with with colleagues and others out there.
1: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, What we began to realize is that there's an information or communication deficit here. While a lot of people are putting things out through the the internet, uh, trying to communicate out, there's not a a lot of communication back or interaction between uh, professionals. And and I think that's why this was a very welcome conversation.
0: Absolutely. So based on that, and I know that you mentioned that you are, you know, this year it's taking a slightly different form, obviously being virtual, but you're going to have three of them in that format. So based on the conversation from January, can you give us a pulse on the biggest concerns with the group that you spoke to?
1: Well, let me, before I do that, help you to understand what we were looking at. There was a number of topics that we Promoted for that session that that, that drew folks in. So, we were going to the first thing we wanted to consider was the COVID pivot, that that notion that everything changed at some point back in March or April of 2020. So, the title was The COVID Pivot, At What Cost? And then the next teaser was a look back at the March to September time period. What is the status of new student enrollment and and consumer tendencies? And the reason we wanted to have that conversation was. Back in the summer and spring, there was a lot of concern that many students who had been admitted and enrolled might defer, might not follow up with an enrollment. So that was a point of consideration. We wanted to look at the impact of the test option because through COVID, about six, there was a 60% increase in the number of test optional schools. So that was a pretty hot topic. We wanted to see what was happening with regard to early decision and early action interest on the part of students in light of COVID and then finally just kind of take a look at what the the fall enrollment picture might look like. So those were the those were the initial topics and we did a survey of of everybody in advance, uh, a paper survey just to kind of get a sense of how they were feeling about different things. And as the survey yielded six pages of results that I compiled, oh, wow. a lot of really good stuff. So we decided as we planned this conversation, it was 90 minutes, unfortunately couldn't be longer, but 90 minutes that the first half would focus on the experience that everyone had. Yeah. Uh, just how did you feel? I mean, what was going on on your campus, etc. And then the, the second part, dealt with the process, the actual admission process and the strategic elements. So one of the things that was that stood out immediately from the survey is the degree of stress, yeah, and anxiety and frustration that emerged on the part of college access professionals and I use that term advisedly because I'm speaking now of everybody who's involved from both the university side and the high school side and the independent consultant side but as one individual referenced you know there's also a fatigue factor involved not so much yes zoom but but also as an educator with kids you're trying to direct them encourage them give them hope give them a sense of possibility and apparently after a while it's kind of like hold your hand up against the dike, just pretending that you're not going to be able to stop the dike from breaking, but eventually it it just does. And so the notion that we could create the perception that everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. And and then despite the fact that we weren't getting the right signals that everything would be fine. I think that really wore down on people as well. On the one hand, there was some discussion uh, and a lot of good feeling about the resourcefulness the innovation that, that came out of this time period we hear talk about the new normal colleges uh, changed the way they uh, reached out to students uh, in, a, in a virtual manner we had virtual information sessions virtual tours virtual interviews uh, so many things that they could do virtually which by the way we'll probably talk about this later uh, many institutions feel that 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 part of of their outreach won't change in the future. On the other hand, colleges and universities felt that having people work remotely from home created a real problem in some ways, because as one person said, this is a people business and and we work with relationships and it was hard to be part of a team you couldn't see on a regular basis. So there there was an awful lot that that we needed to talk through with regard to sort of the, the mental health side of things real concern that not only will there be some negative outcomes with regard to mental health on, on the side of professionals, in other words, will, will college admission officers want to do this work uh, consistently from home virtually all the time? The, the teachers and counselors are worried that they're not having the kind of, if you will, intimate contact, one-to-one contact with the students, the hallway conversations with kids that enable them to really get a sixth sense for how students are thinking about things. There's just a still a, a feeling of distance, despite the Zoom, a feeling of distance that, that people are, are trying to, to reconcile right now. And then, of course, there's the concern about, you know, the students who are marginalized in this process and the fact that the, the students who are probably benefiting or making the most out of a difficult situation are the students who are privileged in many ways yep. the students who are not privileged are left behind they don't have access to counseling the way the other kids would they, they they don't understand the testing paradigm the way other kids might so there's a real concern that a lot of the gains that we were beginning to see with regard to involvement of marginalized students in the process that those gains could be lost and then some
0: yeah absolutely and I'm so glad you brought up the mental health aspect of it. I would imagine that in many ways, you know, this this conversation that you were able to have with these individuals was therapeutic and in, in many different Oh, areas. yeah. But I, I want to lean into something that you just said because we had this conversation in some form with some of the, the previous guests on our podcast. But you know, the the topic of underserved students is something that obviously is at the forefront right now. And it's always been, you know, a, a big topic of conversation in the admissions world. But I think that um the pandemic has truly highlighted that to a significant degree. So I'm curious to hear from you. Is there anything or any information that was shared that um, can provide some perspective in terms on things that have maybe worked to help those those schools still reach those students, or anything that you think would be valuable to share on that topic?
1: Well, there, there are a number of things, and let's see if I can keep them straight in my own mind. One is many of the the students who are otherwise underserved or marginalized in this process lack the technology. The very basic technology to be able to to follow along with a lot of the the work that's expected of them in school themselves. I mean the assignments, etc., that uh, are being handed out from teachers in school while they're working remotely. They don't have the the, the communication access to and from the colleges. So, I mean the colleges can find kids easily who find them, but but if if you're if you got a young person who doesn't have um, the internet access on a regular basis, and can't reach out to colleges and universities. Colleges and universities can't find them either. So, there's there's that concern that there's simply no communication. There's concern that for many of those students, the the level of engagement in the classroom, or remote engagement academically has declined considerably as well. And when you have students who are highly motivated and very intelligent and they know what they want to do in life and you throw them a curveball, a lot of times they anticipate that curveball and they do exactly what they need to in order to follow that metaphor to hit it out of the ballpark. But when when you throw a curveball to somebody who doesn't know what it is, they let it go by and it's a swing and a miss. And that's what's happening with a lot of, of, of the kids who are coming from marginalized backgrounds is that they're not able to put together an academic program or performance that would put them subsequently in the right kind of competitive position in college admission. I'm not saying they can't go to college, but but their academic work this year and last year is is frankly, it's going to be hard for colleges to look at them with any kind of confidence given the fact that they there's a lot of work missing. And sure. there's a lot of incompleteness. And there are some people who believe that that there may be two or three years worth of student cohorts that will be lost, if you will, to education simply because they they have not had the, the continuity of instruction that they need to get them to the finish line. And then the third piece that I think is problematic here is the testing. Uh, On the surface, we we framed the question of testing on our survey. Do you see this as a a marketing ploy, an idea whose time has come, and some other things? Well, most people agree it's an idea whose time has come. And the sense is that's great because now taking tests out of the equation, it makes it easier for students who might have lower scores. And, and there's an awful lot of the research that, that talks about how th- there are uh, gender biases, racial biases, et cetera, in testing. Well, take take the test out of the picture, that, that creates greater opportunity. Well, that means then if there's no test the, for that marginalized student, we focus back on that underdeveloped academic record for the last two years. So it's, it's like a triple whammy for, for those kids. And I think there's real concern. There's real concern. and then then there's the issue of, of cost and affordability. When your family's forced to, you know, live you know day to day rather than have some degree of assurance that there's a roof overhead, meals every day, et cetera. The whole notion of paying for college or going to college, it becomes a foreign notion. So I, I think our group in general has some real concern about the students who are getting underrepresented.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes down to the issues that are in front of them are really tough, you know, even just having basic access to internet or things of that nature. So it it, it makes sense. And it's rightfully a, a major concern of that group. And I think colleges across the country, but you mentioned in the beginning of it, you know, talking about the COVID pivot or the digital pivot or whatever it may be, and referenced that Despite everything that's been going on, a lot of schools are you know, wanting to make sure that they carry those learnings through to subsequent years after this is over. So from your perspective, based on um, the conversations that were taking place, was there anything mentioned specifically about things that they really want to make sure that they keep as part of their admissions process once we are able to be back in person?
1: Yes, and and before I even talk about that, I think there was also recognition in, among this group that the the cycle that we went through over the last twelve months will be repeated over the next twelve months. Yep. So the sense that you know we're almost at the end, at least in terms of college access, we're almost at the end of uh, COVID and the impact that COVID has on the process. Uh, I almost to a person, there's resignation that this current senior class as well as this current junior class will be dealing with the effect of COVID. And and the greatest concern is for the junior class because the junior class will have uh, two years of disruption. Yes. The senior class will have had one year of disruption. Nobody is uh, that confident yet that there will be an endpoint where things either go back to normal or don't go back to normal. Now, to your question, I think that folks are really liking the kind of targeted access they can have to students through the internet. That the opportunity to have more almost literally FaceTime through Zoom and and other mechanisms, but colleges have found that that they can create greater access to kids, especially those that are greater distance from their campus. And you don't you don't have to to travel cross country around the world to get to a college campus right now. You do literally, but but you can still have access to just about everything but the the feeling of being on the campus by Zooming in, et cetera. So I think that the colleges are saying, why should we necessarily be killing ourselves and and trying to uh, spend you know X number of dollars on visiting hundreds of high schools or thousands of high schools uh, during the fall and the spring of a year when we can have virtual conversations with those high schools? Should we consider uh, maybe dropping back from the amount of, of college fair situations we get involved with because Frankly, colleges and universities have found college fairs when they're in person had been um, marginally valuable. And now that those college fairs are being conducted online, they're, they're not valuable at all. I mean, there were More than one person on the college side talked about sitting for hours at a college fair at home, (laughs) waiting for any kind of conversation with none to come. So I think the colleges will probably not do the virtual college fairs. They'll probably do more virtual college visits. They'll probably reach out to students more for virtual conversations and maybe interviews, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I think that that part is going to be a big deal. The whole issue of testing is... Not causal here as much as we might think, but the, the whole COVID situation has given institutions an opportunity across the board to experiment without testing if they hadn't already. So there are now nearly 1,600 or more than 1,600 colleges and universities that are test optional. And almost daily, we hear of more that are saying, Well, we were going to experiment with test option this year. We've extended our experiment to next year. Yeah. Well, and then it'll be the next year. And so we're not all that sanguine as a group that, that there's gonna be a return to testing the way we've known it before. The, the new normal is probably gonna involve a different kind of communication. I think you know, for the savvy students, greater access to information and to people who will help them make good decisions. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'll, I'll use another word that's overused these days, hybrid. There will be a hybrid approach. There will be a mix of, of the old and the new in what we, we see going forward.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's I'm glad you tied it together because that's also one of the reasons why I asked you those questions in that order. But, you know, you, you look at Being able to engage in a virtual environment and potentially reaching some students that you may not have before, because everybody's in the same boat where you can't necessarily visit campus. I wonder if that is helping some students get some exposure that may, may not have before. So... The other thing too that I think is consistent with a lot of the conversations that we've also been having internally is that we have been hearing that these one-on-one interview style or dialogues whether it be through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever are working well with students. It's you know, it's definitely the preferred method of virtual event. So it's interesting to hear that being echoed in that format as well.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think there, there will be a point of diminishing return there. I think that the more institutions can offer the one-to-one rather than the, the group session virtually, I think that they'll, they'll be okay. But I think students will probably burn out on, on group sessions.
0: Yeah. But I, I would just
1: follow up on what you're saying there, Ashley. I, there's so much information that students can glean from an institution's website. And, and access to individuals with that institution through the website that they, I think kids were not accustomed to being that industrious with, with web research, if you will, when they had the prospect of going out to see the campus literally. Mm-hmm. But now that they, they don't have that same access, those students who are being industrious are, are finding even more information. And I think they're becoming better consumers of the process.
0: Yeah, and you know what, as a result, maybe that will change the outcome in terms of of their decision that they may not have expected. Something else that I, I wanted to see if this came up in any conversations, we have also been hearing about how you know, certain schools are getting maybe more applications than they expected during this year or just in general. And the focus is obviously, you know, and this is not a surprise, like the whole yield conversation is always top of mind, but with an increasing number of applications to it, I'm starting to sense that it may be making some a little bit nervous, maybe more so than before, because students may be, filling out more applications, maybe it's because they did go test optional or not. So was there anything that came up within that context in terms of that volume and then being very concerned about ultimately will the students show up on campus or in whatever hybrid remote model is going to be acceptable at that period of time?
1: Absolutely. And, And to be sure the test option now available at highly selective schools, including Ivy League institutions has, fueled the, the, the pump on on that. I mean, many of those institutions are reporting increases in applications of 40 to 60%. Wow. It's it's, it's almost sick <laughs> to think about it. I mean, these are schools that that go into this year with a record of admitting one out of 15, one out of 20. Uh, it, it's, it's insane to think about what their candidate pools are looking like right now. Now, I, I'll grant you many of the students that are in that Increased number are students who probably are marginally competitive, but the attitude of those students will be, well, why not? I don't have to submit scores, well, I might as well find out if I can get into to, uh, you know, XYZ school. And reality is they're, they're not improving their chances, they, they need to be smart about the selection of colleges. But there has been, to your point, an increase in the number of applications submitted per student. Again, the common application makes that easier. The test option makes that easier. So we have three types of, of scenarios evolving right now. The, the very highly selective schools are sort of like the rich getting richer. Yep. Then a band of schools that are very selective, but but not among the most selective, maybe let's say 10% of all colleges and universities that have, you know they admit anywhere from 25% to 55% of their applicants. That group of schools is probably going to be similar this year to what it has been in the past in terms of applicant interest. And then schools that are less selective, admitting more than 55, 60% of their applicants, uh, those schools are probably going to see a, a lower turnout. The thing that's really frustrating to admission officers right now is they don't know how to predict yield. Yep. The yield on the offers of admission. And I say that because historically, you look at the yield rates that, that you've accomplished over you know a 10 year period, and you can predict then with a the high degree of accuracy, what the yield rate on offers of admission will be in the next year. But a lot of the traditional markers in that progression of yield rates are gone. We talk about testing and, and test optional has, has flipped the cart. The, the fact that early decision was out of whack this year because kids were reluctant to commit to schools because they couldn't see them. And colleges love early decision because the more early decision kids they get, they have more high yield candidates so that they don't have to admit many in the regular process. So the reality is that with the exception of the elite institutions, the, the most highly selective schools, the students applying to selective schools should expect that there will be an overadmission of students and a greater reliance on the wait list going, going into this next year. And, and one of the questions we asked was, uh, how would you characterize the anticipated admission activity for the fall of 2021? And we asked, would you see, expect to see more early decision activity, uh, expect to see more waitlist activity, expect to see more aggressive and generous awarding of financial assistance, uh, expect greater reliance on enrolling full pay students, expect no change in admission or financial aid activity at all? And the, the greatest response? was in, in favor of greater reliance on enrolling full pay kids, greater reliance on the wait list, and a more generous awarding of financial assistance. So what, what I take from that is that colleges are going to be less conservative about the way they manage their resources and manage the places. They, it's, it's really important, and this is one of the things we learned early, colleges and universities took really big financial hits this last year. In order to affect that pivot that we talked about and in in order for them to to kind of right the ship they're going to need to have more tuition revenue than perhaps they would have in the past so that will change in in some ways the approach that they have to admitting students and then aiding students
0: interesting this is this is definitely something that you know we have also heard too but I want to change the subject just a little bit, but in the same vein. So that part was, you know, focused on yield and what colleges are going to do and how they feel about it. But let's take the conversation from, let's say, the bottom of the funnel or at the end of the admissions process up to the beginning. I'm curious, did you hear about any changes on the enrollment marketing front or where colleges are spending or reallocating some of those budgets or dollars?
1: Well, out of necessity now, uh, funds that had been spent on off-campus recruitment
0: mm-hmm.
1: have been channeled toward the virtual recruitment. And in some schools are, it's interesting, we talked about testing before, and we talked about, to some degree, colleges rely upon testing to gen- as a lead generation function as well. And- Students taking the PSAT, the SAT, the ACT, etc., provide names and contact information. It's a way of building a prospect pool. There are some schools that don't even use testing any longer as a lead gen. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Yep. in a way, but not surprising. One of the college persons, one of the deans, said that a great challenge on her campus was getting people to move away from the way we always did things.
0: Sure.
1: And and that student search lead generation piece that has been part of the in, in the marketing enrollment early enrollment uh, management process for 50 years it's, it's just hard to shake even though it's not a terribly productive use of resources uh, institutions I think are, are probably going to find that this is a time when they can cut the cord on on that at least diminish it considerably.
0: Yeah yeah and I mean you're right the metrics were never fantastic anyway so you know it's it's a great time to reevaluate mm-hmm. now in the same vein let's just say like the search campaigns or whatever it may be were there concerns vocalized about you know obviously the highly selective and the big brand name schools Students know who they are, but is there increasing concern amongst other colleges that don't necessarily have that strong brand recognition and how they could potentially get in front of students in this environment?
1: The strongest recognition of what can be done is coming from those schools that are threatened the most. In, in the history of higher education and, and the marketing of higher education, at least from my my own experience, is that the, the greatest innovations kind of come from the bottom up, if you will. So the least selective schools, those that are constantly having to work the hardest to get and maintain their populations, are often the places that are producing the most innovative approaches to uh, prospect management. The question is, how long can they remain viable financially? And the, the combination of what we're seeing now with the COVID, the pivot, And then the looming demographic cliff that some people talk about, the the fact that in the coming maybe three to five years, they're gonna be 10, 15% fewer students of college age applying to college. There there are a fair number of school colleges and universities in this country that are are gonna be vulnerable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're they're gonna work
1: extra hard. Yeah, yeah,
0: all great points. All right. So, I mean, we obviously we covered a lot. I can't imagine how that 90 minutes was and how I'm sure it was incredibly difficult to cut it off after that period of time. But is there anything else that you want to highlight that you think is really important to bring up that we maybe didn't touch on?
1: Well, I think and this is going to be something that we're going to be dealing with in our next session with that name. it's going to be a different cast of characters but the next no-name group is going to be talking at the end of march about how the selection process actually proceeded this year in the absence of testing at many institutions so but there's still some speculation about how all that played out from the perspective of the readers what if you if you are not able to develop an immediate bias with regard to a student and and his or her testing, what are you looking at and, and how are you making decisions? And I think that what I'm hearing from the folks on the college side is a greater focus on discerning the student's sense of purpose, intentionality in approaching the process we talked earlier about how so many more students are applying to the, the 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 reach schools for them simply because they feel they can. They don't they don't have to submit test scores anymore. Why not give it a try? Well, they they become pretty obvious in this process. They're the strangers in in the midst of the selection process, and strangers are never admitted. So I think that the the selective institutions are are really starting to develop some some techniques uh, internally for again discerning the real potential for a student to enroll and make serious contributions on that campus, which then speaks a lot to the way a student puts together an application and and, and expresses him or herself in in an essay, for example, or letters of recommendation. So that'll that'll be something we'll be talking about in our next meeting
0: absolutely well we we definitely look forward to having that conversation we're excited to hear about you know where it goes and what we can learn from it and what i would like to say too is that here at score we're always looking to connect with admissions leaders about what they're facing in this current environment and beyond so if there are any any interested parties out there who would love to have future discussions with us like this please let us know we'd be happy to facilitate it but peter i want to just say thank you so much for joining us today the insights that you shared were Fantastic! It's always good for us to, you know, make sure that we are truly understanding and, and get a pulse on what's going on. And as we said earlier, you know, just getting a temperature check on college admission. So thank you so much for joining us. And I am sure we will talk to you again soon here.
1: Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot.